Okay, as we give our full attention to God and his word together, we're in Luke chapter 11. And in this uh, chapter, Luke records the climax of Jesus' rejection. We remember he came and presented himself uh, in Israel as the Jewish Messiah. He authenticated himself as the Messiah through signs and wonders and miracles, showing his power over demons and sicknesses. But despite these signs and miracles, they rejected him. The Jewish leaders and the Jewish people rejected him as the Messiah. Of course, there was a believing remnant. Nevertheless, he was rejected. And in this chapter, he exposes the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the emphasis they had on the external religion. And may this also be heart-searching for each one of us this morning. So we go to the text and we see that he was casting out a demon and it was mute. Now there are natural causes for all sicknesses and ailments, but specifically here it says that this was because of a demon, that this man was mute. If this is the same story as Matthew 12, this man was mute and also blind. And it says that when the demon had gone out, the mute spoke, and all the multitudes marveled. They were amazed at what they saw. It was commonly understood by the Jewish people that when the Messiah would come, there would be certain miracles that only the Messiah would be able to perform. For example, the healing of a man uh, with leprosy, full of leprosy. The healing of a man who was born blind, And we saw Jesus uh, perform that miracle. In fact, it says in Luke 9 there, uh, in verse 32, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone would open the eyes of a man who was born blind. And then lastly and finally, the casting out of a dumb demon. Because it was understood by the Jewish people that you would identify the demon, you would ask their name, and then you would be able to cast them out. But only the Messiah would be able to cast out a dumb demon. So at this point, now he has fulfilled these miracles, the response should have been, this is the Messiah. He has fulfilled what is written of him. In Matthew 12, that account, it says there, some said, could this be the son of David? There were some who asked that question, could this be the Messiah? But in verse 15, we see some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And again, in Matthew's account, it says it was the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders who asked this question specifically. They didn't deny the miracles, how could they? There stood the blind man. There stood the the dumb man who had been healed. There were the people that were healed. They didn't deny the miracles. But in the obstinate, stubborn, prideful hearts, they they had to somehow reason and, and reject him nevertheless, which is what they did. So rather than reject, deny the miracles, they said he did it by the power of demons. Astounding. They didn't conclude that he has power over demons, but they suggested that he did this by the power of demons. Again, in In Matthew's account, we have a running commentary 
uh, to this. This is the account where Jesus speaks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, which is applied to that specific generation at the time when the physical Messiah was on the earth in Israel. And that generation rejected him despite the Holy Spirit and the, the power and the miracle of, miracles of God being uh, displayed. They said he did it by the power of demons. There was a Pharisee who had a different conclusion. Do you remember? In John 3, Nicodemus said, we know you have come from God because no man can do these miracles unless God be with him. But, and he was a, a remnant believer, of course. But in verse 16, others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. Okay, he does this by the power of demons or give us a sign from heaven. Oh, but they had seen so many miracles. And honestly, miracles are never enough. Have you ever heard that? If I would see a miracle or a sign, then I would believe. Oh, but the, the twisted rationale of the natural man and the prideful heart of fallen man will justify even that and find a way to reject it. It's not about miracles. It's about faith. Verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, and this is Jesus reasoning with them, will you say I do this by the power of demons? Well, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against a house fails. A king with a certain army, if there is the army fighting against itself, uh, it's not going to stand. We have the phrase, united, we stand divided, we fall. That's the idea. Verse 18, if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because they had Jewish exorcists as well, praying and looking for demons to be cast out. He says, therefore, they will be your judges. The next verse begins with the word but. But, and this is consider the consequences if the opposite is true. Consider this, verse 20. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come to you. Ooh, I get chills just saying that. These are the two options. The finger of God here speaks of the express power of God. Remember when uh, Moses uh, and Pharaoh and the magicians, remember that? And the magicians came to the conclusion, this is by the finger of God. They recognized that that was by the power of God. That's the conclusion. The kingdom of God has come to you, meaning the Messiah is here. But they would not humble their hearts. Again, in that account in Exodus chapter 10 with the plagues on Egypt and Pharaoh, the question was put to Pharaoh after several plagues had gone by, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Have you ever met anyone in the face of the gospel or Bible teaching or church? And all this, they, they, there's a certain resistance and so uncomfortable. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before God is such a good question. How long will you, before you realize that the complexity that is in your own soul and history is not, it is, it is hindering you 
from finding God in the real personal sense. Sadly, this was the case with the Pharisees and those who subscribe to their teachings and conclusions. And Jesus goes on, when a strong man, he gives a little parable here to show about the power of God. He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes, and this is the threat, upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor and divides his spoils. And in the parable, the strong man being Satan, the demonic powers that held that man particularly captive with, a, with, a, with mute and perhaps blindness as a captive because of demonic powers. Uh, Satan is pictured there, but the stronger man is Jesus who has set him free. Um, we remember, think of these verses, 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Colossians 2, 14. Him having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, relating to the victory of the cross. Colossians 1.12 says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of his light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of his beloved Son. Wow, kingdoms. There are only two. And you're either in one or you're in the other. You're either affected by one or you're affected by the other. So therefore, he makes that clear in verse 23. He who is not with me is against me. It doesn't say he who is against me is against me. It says he who is not with me by default is actually against me. There's no neutral ground He changes the figure here to speak about reaping and herding. And he says, and he who does not gather with me scatters, gathering in terms of the kingdom. My life contributes to one or the other. Verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through any dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And Jesus here is addressing a principle here. That it's wonderful that this man has been delivered. But that's not enough. He now needs to be filled with something. It's not about reformation or teaching him the right way, but it's now it's about regeneration. It's not only that this man is delivered from evil, but he finds uh, uh, saving faith through Jesus Christ. So verse uh, 26, then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the state of that man is worse than the first. And here, these religious leaders, and this is just so astounding to think about this, and it relates to us today in the 21st century also, just look around. That the religious leaders and the religions of the world 
bringing people into captivity of a kingdom that is not God's. That religion and different expressions of it in different ways can actually bring people into captivity and may help them find a measure of morality, but they are lost and they need to be born again and regenerated. The irony that here in Jesus' time, the people that he had issue with were not the common people. It was the religious leaders. And it says in verse 27, And as it happened, as he spoke these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And if, yeah, good, oh, yeah, good, yeah. I mean, she was complimenting him. That's what it meant as a blessed is your mother that she bore you. But in the context, Jesus did not appreciate that because it, she was not recognizing him for who he was. She was not highlighting the truth that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he was the Son of God. So he responds in a way that was really like a further rebuke to the religious leaders, particularly he says, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In other words, he shuts down that, that, that compliment. He shuts that down and says, no, that, that does not hit the target at all. This hits the target. I am, I am God in the flesh. I am the Messiah. I speak the truth. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And the recognition of who I am and why I came and what I am fulfilling and what I will, will accomplish, nothing short of that hits the target. More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And I, I hope that sinks into our ears and down to our hearts and soul this morning. Blessed are you. If you are hearing the word, if you are believing the word, if you are hiding the word of God in your heart, if you are responding in faith in your life and in this world and in this incredible time of world history that we are in, blessed are you who hear the word and keep it. There's lots of voices in this world this verse must this voice must ring very loud and clear as we make conclusions and as we navigate our way through life and this time back in verse 16 it says that others were testing him and asked for a sign from heaven so in verse 29 he responds to that while the crowds were thickly gathered together he began to say this is an evil generation it seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah I read to you what Matthew says in 38 it says and here he again identifies specifically it was the Pharisees some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him we want to see a sign from you and they're asking the question in the context of him just doing an unbelievable miracle. And they asked for a sign. And he answered, as wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. 
of the earth. And Luke says the same here. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Jesus is saying, you want a sign? I am the sign. I, the Son of Man, I am the sign for you. All that I have fulfilled and all that I have done and all that I have said. And of course, in the, sh- in the shadow of the cross just to come, he was a sign to them. But even after the resurrection, they would seek to deny him and say the disciples stole the body, etc. Oh, how, how man is so self-deceiving and lives in such a self-delusionment and questions and justifies on, you know, and rejects God in, in the light, in, in, in the face of such clear light and revelation. So Jesus says, the queen of the south, remember her in 1 Kings 10, the queen of Sheba who came to Solomon. She traveled so far, she heard a little about him and his faith and his God. And she traveled far by faith to come and hear. And the Bible testifies to her decision and her faith and what she found there, how her heart was overwhelmed with what she saw, particularly the ascension to the, in the house of his God to God. She saw his faith and how God had honored him. And Jesus looks back to that story and says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. You think Solomon was a great king? The king of kings is here. And she traveled so far with such little information by faith and she found the truth and the truth is staring you right in the face. And the, and the word is open and the prophecies are fulfilled and the signs have taken place and yet you still, this close, deny him. I think the, uh, the story of Judas is such a sobering story because he was so close to the truth, as close as you could be, and yet he betrayed him. Oh, sorry, this is a bit of a sobering message this morning. <laughs> well, God bless you. Verse 32. And then he goes on to say, The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Jonah, that that great prophet in the sense of the fruit that his ministry saw, you think a great king is here, a great prophet uh, with Solomon and Jonah, well, the prophet of all is here. The prophet is here. The difference with the men of Nineveh, and by the way, the queen of Sheba was Gentile and the men of Nineveh were Gentiles. The difference was the men of Nineveh repented and humbled themselves and turned to the Lord. But this generation, in, in particularly these religious leaders, did not do that. He says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. 
You have been given the gospel light. What do you do with it? He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. So important for the eye to be open. You can, you can easily tell when the eye is bad. He says, therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Incredible warning to these religious leaders that they thought that they were so close to God and yet were so far. He says, if your whole body is full of light, having no darkness, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. A person experiencing illumination from God. Now, the rest of this passage, I'm just going to walk you through it as we close, is six woes that Jesus pronounces upon these leaders. And just follow with me, I'll I'll read it to you. As he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and he went in and sat at his house. And the Pharisee saw it and marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. (laughs) So the Pharisee asked Jesus into the home, and and typically, culturally, you you would wash beforehand. There would be certain rituals you would wash as you would come in, and Jesus didn't do that. And this is the spirit of a Pharisee. He is so quick to recognize and be negative and critique the little things, so much so that he misses the most important thing. And the Pharisee focused on the fact that he didn't wash his hands, missed the fact that this is the Messiah who is in my house. Beware the spirit of a Pharisee because you lose with that. And sometimes that has to go to the cross and and die a death to find the truth. We humble ourselves before God. Verse 39, the Lord said to him, Oh, now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? And what he's saying is, you can't play religious games with God. You live on the outside a certain way and you may impress men. And you may wear your religious garments and go through your ceremony. And men may say, wow, look at that Pharisee. God sees the heart. It's never really about what we do outwardly. It's It's the heart motivation that counts. Their heart, their motive was not correct. He says, but rather give alms of such things as you have, and then indeed all things are clean. Or in Matthew's account in chapter 23, he says to the blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside may be clean also. And this is the beauty of Christianity and the power of Christ in our life, that our our life is changed from the inside out. And what you see is what you get. We're not playing religious games. We're not pretending to be something that we're not. 
And it's only grace that can do that in someone's life. If you live under the law, it creates a double standard because I'm trying to live up to something that really I can't do in the flesh. But grace produces transparency. And we're not, we're not pretending. We're not trying to live up to something. We are just rejoicing in the fact that we have been found and changed by the grace of God. And we're all on a journey. And I'm not your judge and you're not my judge. But we're just thankful for all that God has done and all that God has given. We're so thankful for his grace. But he says, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and spices and herbs and you pass justice and the love of God. These ought to have been done without leaving the others undone. And again, that graphic picture, you, you get your, your herbs and you tithe a tenth of it and you give that to God and you're so concerned about tithing and you miss the greater things like love and mercy and kindness. In Matthew 23's account, listen to this, they loved the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and they loved to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are his brethren. Do not call anyone on the earth your father, unless he's your father, you can call me father. But in the religious sense, in a church, just put that in your pipe and smoke it. Do not call anyone on the earth father. For one is your father, he who is in heaven, and you do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. The point here being, they were making an issue about their position, about their power, about their title, about being honored publicly and missing the most important thing, what they were supposed to be doing, and that was representing God and the truth. He goes on, verse 44, with the next woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And by the way, the word hypocrite means one who plays the part, one who is an actor. And you know what it means to be an actor? You get your script you learn your lines, you put on the costume, you come center stage and you play the part. It's not who you really are. You are acting. And this is what Jesus called the religious leaders. You are actors, you are hypocrites, you are white, polished sepulchers on the outside filled with dead men's bones. The next woe. Oh, that's what he says. You are like graves which are not seen. The men who walk over you are not aware of them. And then one of the lawyers answers and said, Teacher, are you saying that these things reproach us also? In other words, you're, you're, you're giving these woes to the Pharisees. Does this apply to us, scribes and lawyers as well? And Jesus says, uh, yes. Verse 46, he says, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with heavy burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. And in fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. What he's saying is, your fathers rejected the prophets, they rejected the truth, and, and they killed them, and you build the tombs and outwardly say you honor them, but you would have killed them also. 
He says, I say to you, it will be required of this generation and the last woe, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves and those who were entering, you hindered. I I just feel that they're the most scary, sobering words that could be applied to anyone. That you, you um, have taken away the key of knowledge and you did not enter in, enter in yourself, and you hindered those who were entering. Imagine that. There is great responsibility for being a teacher or a leader in a church or a religion. Those who are seeking the truth that will be hindered from it. And he said these things to them. As he said them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him in something that he might say, that that they might accuse him. Again, proving his very words, no remorse, no, no conviction, no repentance, no open eye, no humility, no reception, not being with him, but being against him. Not gathering, but scattering. Not hearing the word, but rejecting it. But this will be our conclusion. We have to draw some edification, encouragement in this last statement. Are you ready? (laughs) But blessed is he who hears the word of God and keeps it. There is a blessing that is committed, commanded, promised to those who are hearing with humility in their hearts, with an open heart before God and faith in him and all that he has said. Blessed are you. Blessed blessed are those that hear. So Father, we pray this morning. We thank you for your word. Sometimes it comes in like a two-edged sword. And it pierces asunder the soul and the spirit. It searches even the very motive of the heart. Oh, Lord, we thank you that your your word is quick and powerful. We thank you for conviction to search us out and to find us and to help us, to change us, deliver us. Oh, help us, Lord, we ask, to be people who live under grace that we are not living in judgment or negative criticism of people all the time, but we, we find a ministry of love and grace to others, for we have all sinned. We all fall short. We, are all, we would all be disqualified if it wasn't but for your great grace. Or help us not to have the, 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 the words that the Pharisees might say, but let us be gatherers. Let us have a ministry and encourage and build and bless other people. We ask and pray, oh, hide this in our hearts. Help us in our journey of faith, our our growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, we pray. Perhaps there's someone here or listening online this morning, you're not sure of your salvation, or this is the moment. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So come through him this morning. Come by faith this morning. Come in humility and even repentance in your heart and say, oh Lord, I am a sinner and I turn to you. I look to you. I believe by faith today. Save me. 
And then we ask for your blessing upon our lives, this church family. Thank you for, your, for all you're doing in our lives, in our church family, in our, in our own families, the people in our lives. Use us, help us, keep us. Guide us and bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.